0: Frank Ling and I'm Charles Lee, and you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Lee McIntyre will join us to discuss the scientific attitude. So
1: stay tuned for all of this,
0: plus the Grokatron 5000,
1: and our world famous question a week.
0: Coming right up here on the Grok's Science Show. Welcome back to the Grox Science Show. Well, science is constantly under attack from numerous sources, including, among others, anti-vaxxers and climate change deniers. But what is it that makes science different from the pseudoscience that might be attacking it? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Lee McIntyre. Dr. McIntyre is a research fellow at the Center for Philosophy and History of Science at Boston University. He's the author of Dark Ages, The Case for a Science of Human Behavior and Truth, and his new release, The Scientific Attitude, Defending Science from Denial, Fraud, and Pseudoscience, is now out for a general audience. And Dr. McIntyre, very pleased to have you day on the Grok Science Show.
1: I'm pleased to be here. Thank you so much.
0: Well, it's certainly a timely book that you've written here, The Scientific Attitude, in which you talk really about some of the distinctions between science and pseudoscience. I'm, I'm curious why you decided to write the book.
1: Yeah, so I'm a philosopher of science, and I got interested in writing this book because, just as you said in your intro, science is under attack. And I have always thought that science is a pretty wonderful thing and that science denial is sort of baffling. And then it occurred to me that the way that philosophers of science were trying to draw the distinction between science and non-science or science and pseudoscience wasn't really helping very much. And that scientists themselves, in fact, sometimes talked about what the work that they did in a way that could be misinterpreted and was giving some oxygen to the science deniers. So I wanted to start to think about What is really special about science and can I make that accessible for the general public so that we can use those ideas to push back against just the rampant science denial that's uh, available today?
0: What really is special about science? I mean, in your first chapter, you talk about the age-old problem of demarcation.
1: Right. Yeah, that's the one that philosophers have been breaking their brains on for about the last hundred years because they've been trying to come up with a, a logical or at least a methodological way to draw a sharp distinction between science and non-science. And I think ultimately it, it can't be done, which is to say that the way that they've been trying to do it, to come up with some sort of a necessary and sufficient criteria. So it seems to me that one of the problems with the criteria of demarcation is that if you get it wrong, you're going to end up excluding some of the things that you end up want to in- include, and you'll end up including some of the things that you actually want to exclude so it just seems to me that that's finally not going to work and what i started to think about there was this idea that uh, in philosophy there's always been this sharp distinction between facts and values which got me to thinking about values how important are values then it finally occurred to me people are always talking about scientific method how uh, you know how there's this Uh, supposed to be the special way that scientists uh, perform their experiments and uh, make their inferences. And, you know, there is a methodology to science, but it occurred to me that what's really special is not some recipe that you try to follow. It's the values of science. It's the idea that scientists are first and foremost uh, open to uh, new evidence Uh, They care about evidence and they're open to new evidence coming forward to help them uh, change their beliefs. Uh, That's in a nugget what I think is just so awesome about science that they're the way that they respond to evidence and that for me uh, marked off the difference, which I don't. Pretend is a criteria of demarcation because it's not really anything logical, but I think it is a way to think of the distinction and, more importantly, to use it so that when you are up against somebody who's a pseudoscientist or a science denier, you can talk to them about the values of science.
0: So it is not so much about the process that uh, scientists go through, but really what it is that scientists are after, deeper truths about nature.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, if if you think about how scientists have responded to all of the nonsense pushback about uh, the reality of anthropogenic climate change, scientists, uh, you know, they, they do the work, they understand, and they present the evidence. But what do you do when somebody is not convinced by your evidence or, or says, you know, I'll wait for more evidence to come in, or this isn't settled science? I mean, what, what can you possibly say to them? I think that it, the important thing is not just to present the evidence, but to make sure that the person that you're speaking with understands the the context of that evidence, the the rigorous process that scientists have gone through to find that evidence, and and just how overwhelming it is. I, I mean, I, I read in Reuters the other day that the climate change has now reached the five sigma level. So it's a one out of a million chance now that the climate change deniers are right. Can they really live with that? Do they understand that? Uh, I I think that's, you know, a way of putting it that would help scientists to maybe convince members of the general public who haven't been convinced so far.
0: As you point out, is there some sort of misconception, a little divide between what the public perceives as scientists come to their conclusions and the way in which it's actually done?
1: Oh, oh yes, absolutely. Because I think that if you if you go out and you talk to most people about science for a few minutes, you know, how they do it, they're under the impression that science is about proof that scientists can come up with their conclusions with certainty, which means that anything less than certainty gives a science denier an opportunity to paint themselves as a skeptic and say, "Well, I'm going to wait for more uh, more data to come in." Well, what every scientist knows is that. You can't ever get all of the data in. That's just not how inductive reasoning works. So when you've got a one out of a million chance that the science deniers are right, uh, that's about as close to certainty as you can come. But it's not certainty. Now, scientists are cautious in the way that they state their findings. And that's exploited by people who want to push back on any particular finding that they don't like. So what I recommend is that scientists just embrace the uncertainty. Embrace uncertainty as a strength rather than a weakness of science. I mean, the idea that there's uncertainty behind scientific theories is why evidence counts. It's why science never closes the books on any particular thing. The beliefs are based on overwhelming evidence, which leads to overwhelming justification or warrant for the beliefs you don't in science ever say, well, this has been proven because it's not deductive logic. And I think that it's easy for scientists to feel defensive about that when all of a sudden people say, well, come back to me when it's proven. I, I think that's an opportunity for education about the way that science works. And the lay public just really doesn't understand that.
0: Why do you think skepticism towards scientific discoveries persist?
1: Well, that, that's a good question because I think uh, I was just thinking about this the other day since the book came out. I don't think that the general public ever really did understand how science works. It's not that this recent spate of science denial um, is because all of a sudden uh, there's this lack of public understanding of how science works. I don't think they really ever did understand how science worked, but they trusted them. They had respect for them, and I think that what's happened in recent years is that that trust in expertise, that trust in authority uh, has eroded in many different realms. Uh, Tom Nichols has this uh, wonderful book out called The Death of Expertise. And I think that science has gotten caught up uh, in that. And so all of a sudden, when scientists are doing the same sort of work that they've always done, and in fact, coming up with the same phenomenal results that they've always done, and then people don't believe it, then there's a little bit of a question about, well, what, what do we have to do that we haven't always done here? And I, th- I think what happens is that what you realize is people are not actually, the lay public, um, science deniers in particular, they're usually not actually convinced by evidence or data. They're convinced on the basis of trust. They're convinced on the basis of uh, knowing the people who are giving them information, thinking that it's, uh, that it's accurate. And if you really get right down to it for science deniers, hardcore science deniers, most of their beliefs are actually formed on the basis of identity or ideology. They know what they want to believe. Uh, they know what their friends believe and want them to believe. And so that's what they end up believing. And it's, it's not a rigorous process. And they get to paint themselves as skeptics sometimes when they're really not. The scientists are the true skeptics, and uh, science deniers are not.
0: A much more difficult problem than, you know, presenting evidence is regaining trust.
1: It, it's hard because, I mean, it's a hard thing to ask of scientists who already have their hands full just doing, doing the work. Um, I went to the March for Science here in Boston, and it was just, it was amazing to see all of the scientists out, you know, protesting. And I'd like to see some of that spirit uh, for engagement with, uh, with science deniers. Um, The the main way that you convince somebody uh, is through one-on-one conversations and contact. And I'll give you an example of this from from the news recently. So there's been a um, a measles outbreak in Clark County, Washington, everybody knows about, uh, primarily due to anti-vaxxers. And what happened is the the governor of Washington state sent the public health officials out uh, to talk to uh, parents who weren't vaccinating their children them to workshops. Sometimes it was many people, sometimes it was one-on-one, but some minds are getting changed. Some people are, uh, who previously were, uh, vaccine doubters is what they like to call themselves have actually begun to change their mind reporting that, you know, this was the first time that their doubts were taken seriously. It's tedious. It's hard work to, you know, to sit there and listen to all of these debunked theories, uh, from, from people. But I think that that's what's necessary. And, uh, you know, I, I think that scientists can push back at that, get angry, say, you know, why should this be up to us? How, how can you ask this of us? But I, I just I think it's the reality that we live in. If we just close the door, refuse to engage and say, well, we're going to be right. Look what's going to happen. Science denial has reached all the way to the Senate, to the White House. Look at what's happening with climate change. If, if we don't get ahead of this and try to figure out a way to make people listen, I think we're in real trouble.
0: Especially in today's climate, this is even more of a problem. Yeah, yeah. You
1: know, that's right. And, and I experienced this firsthand actually recently because I, I didn't just want to tell scientists, we'll go do this. I, I wanted to see if it could be done. And so in November 2018, I went to the Flat Earth International Conference in Denver. And I bought the badge, and I attended the seminars and you know i 'm not a scientist, so i wasn 't going to present any evidence, and if I had they wouldn 't have believed it anyway, because you know they 're surrounded by the evidence that they 're wrong uh, all the time, they just don 't believe it. What I wanted to do was to to listen to them, uh, show up, see if I could build some trust. but then once I did, begin to challenge their reasoning, and the question that I asked them uh, was a skeptical question from the philosophy of science, which is what would it take to prove that you were wrong? And they were unprepared for that question. They they weren't used to, to thinking of it that way. They were used to either kind of sort of reflexively attacking what science presented, you know, to say, well, all the NASA pictures are faked, or accepting gullibly their own evidence, uh, like the guy who uh, took a carpenter's level on a plane and said that because the bubble never dipped, you, you know, the earth must be flat. I mean, that's the level that, that we're talking about, no pun intended. But when I asked them, okay, well, you keep saying that you want proof that the, the earth is, uh, is a globe. Uh, what could I do to prove that? Or what could I do to prove that you were wrong? They, they really could not tell me. And uh, I, I cornered a couple of people on that and have some, some interesting encounters, but, but nobody actually uh, was willing to uh, you know, put up or shut up uh, on any of the, of the big questions that might refute them.
0: How is it that the pseudoscientific attitude is presented? Does it make use of the trappings of science?
1: Well, yes. I mean, you can't... So, so this is a cute story. You can't get more uh, uh, into the trappings of science than one of the speakers who was at the Flat Earth Conference who was wearing a white lab coat and said, uh, well, I don't have any background in science, but I'm wearing a white lab coat, so this is all the authority I need. So, I mean, you know, literally the, the trappings of science. But the, the other thing, I mean, the, the one bright spot was that they did say um, that they were interested in evidence uh, they were not interested in this was not a faith based belief this they said it was not an ideological belief it was based on evidence now they of course weren 't very good scientists and they you know they, they, they didn 't have a scientific way of responding to evidence, but they did profess to be interested in evidence, which I thought was at least an opportunity for uh, somebody to talk to them I, I didn't I didn't change any minds what I wonder if is if I uh, gained any trust with them I did take one of the guest speakers out to dinner and we talked for two hours about flights over Antarctica and rocket travel and all sorts of things and I mean he didn't give an inch and I didn't give an inch but I I hope that I might have built some trust and I'm going back again this year to see
0: a, a lot of effort I you spent two hours with
1: it did yeah, I mean there there were 600 there were 600 of them there and to my to my eye I think I was the only one who was not a flat earther. There could have been some other people going incognito. Of course the media were there, but I think I was the only one wearing a badge who wasn't a flat earther. So it was kind of 600 to one.
0: Where do you think scientists can help to promote the scientific attitude, gaining the trust of what does the scientist do? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I, I think they have to engage. Um, engage more, engage more in public conversation, and the reason is because I, I don't think you can actually probably ever convince the hardcore science deniers to give up their beliefs. But the point is that if scientists aren't out there um, speaking to a lay audience, then maybe the only voice that the, you know, the, the, the public hears is the voice of the science deniers. You know, it, it, they made big hay at the uh, uh, Flat Earth International Conference about the fact that, now, I didn't confirm this, but somebody said that there was a, a conference of physicists up the street and that they never bothered to come down and refute them and that that must be because they were afraid. Well, you know, I, I doubt very much they were afraid. I, I'm sure if they'd come down, it would have been for a laugh. But I think that there would actually be public value in... Um, showing, uh, you know, for what they are, the charlatans that they are, uh, science deniers and, and pseudoscientists, so that it doesn't look like only one side uh, has a voice. Uh, again, as I said, it's not enough just to to be right and and to be quiet about it. And it may feel like, well, you know, how can we make any headway on this? How can we engage? But uh, I think there are opportunities for engagement. There's always a line that you don't want to cross, right? You you have to be careful of giving oxygen to such uh, uh, nonsensical beliefs that you're actually just giving them more publicity than they deserve. And I'm not recommending that. I'm not recommending any more of those split-screen debates on CNN where they've got James Hansen on one side and some climate change skeptic on the other. Uh, What I'm saying is that I I think that scientists need to do more uh, one-on-one work, like the public health people are now doing in, uh, in Washington State, uh, more opportunity to, for outreach, because as uh, I, I either said in this book or, or the last one, there's not just the liar, there's the audience for the lie, and it's the audience for the lie that we should be going after, the people who haven't been converted yet, the people who you know, hear the lie and think, oh, well, a level on a plane, yeah, that makes sense, and then, but they don't understand. Uh, And they need somebody who's a scientist or or not even a scientist, just somebody who's taken some physics to explain to them why that's not a definitive experiment. To me, uh, and I believe this since I was a kid, uh, science is the most wonderful invention of the human mind. I mean, it's very easy to uh, think these days, you know, what's happened? Everything's eroding. and, And it is. But if you look at it from a certain perspective, it's really amazing that science ever happened at all. I mean, it's an incredible thing. That given cognitive bias and just human nature, we're all sort of wired up to believe what we want to believe. And science teaches us, no, you shouldn't do that. When it's an empirical topic, at least, you should gather evidence and test your beliefs against evidence and then finally say, you know what, I want to believe this is true, but... It's apparently not true because the evidence tells me so. I think that's a terrific model for human reason, and we should use it more and more. And I think that scientists can trumpet that because it's, it's really an amazing thing that it's humanity its best, I think, when we're doing science.
0: We were just talking with Dr. Lee McIntyre. He's a research fellow at the Center for Philosophy and History of Science at Boston University. His new book, The Scientific Attitude, Defending Science from Denial, Fraud, and Pseudoscience. And Dr. McIntyre, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed it. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show.
0: Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology.
1: If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at grox.net. For Grok
0: Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grocks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.